Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. And today we're going to be in Galatians, so I'm going to read a lot. I'm actually going to help you out. I'm going to read a chunk of this for you, okay? So we're going to read together today. So if you don't have your Bible with you, have your phone with you, have something uh, so you can look at this. We'll put it on the screen for you, but I want you to read it for yourself as well. Um, so there's no reason why you can't read this book this week because you're going to get half of it in today. All right, so you're already almost done by today. But there's no real way to read Galatians, in my opinion, uh, to read it to you or to preach on it, to teach on all that covering context of Scripture. There's so much here. If I don't read, it's going gonna, it's gonna to miss some things. So I'm going to read a, a good bit of Scripture here, okay? So... Uh, in Galatians, that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with Galatians chapter 3, and uh, we'll get there in just a second, verse 13. And, and, and so I want to give you a little um, um, kind of opening to Galatians, okay? The church at Galatia. So <laughs> this time of year, you know, being off last week and, and coming back, it, you know, the weather here this morning getting up, I was like, wow, man, it's chilly. feels like, you know, to me, it's kind of cool. And it starts reminding me of the fall. You know, when it gets t- towards the fall, you start thinking about you get together with family. I don't know what you did last year. I'm not sure what your plans are this year. Uh, but nonetheless, typically around the fall, you get together with family. You have pie. You have some kind of Thanksgiving dinners. Those kind of your favorite things you think about that you probably had when you get family get-togethers. Well, Haley does. Um, and every time I say this, people ask her to make one. And she isn't going to do it for you because it's if she makes them, I'm getting it. All right. But I hate cheesecake. Like I... So don't, I'm about to tell you something, don't make me one. I hate cheesecake. You, I don't mean it to be mean, but you probably can't make it the way she makes it that will taste good to me, no matter what you do. I've been to Cheesecake Factory and tried everything they got. I hate it. It tastes terrible to me. I hate cheesecake. Haley, though, makes cheesecake. She has a recipe from her grandfather, who was a baker, well-known baker in his time, and had a business in town and different things. She shipped pies everywhere. She's got one of his recipes, and she makes this cheesecake. And it's a two-four. So in other words, you can't just make one. The ingredients require, it makes two of them. So it's amazing because you get one and then you get stick one in the freezer and it's like you get to eat on that thing for at least a day because uh, it's so good. But what she puts in this thing is weird. There's cream cheese, right? I know that. There's some other stuff like the crust and some maybe some eggs. I don't know what all goes in the main part. But she puts something in it that's kind of weird to me. She puts lemon zest. And I, you can't taste it. It's not, you don't, it doesn't really hit your palate. You don't taste it. But there's something about it that does something to the cake. And I know there's lemon zest in it. I know because I've seen her put it in the cake. But it's not the cake. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's an ingredient in the cake. So when you eat the cheesecake, you're actually eating lemon zest. But the lemon zest is not the cake. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's a part of the cake. So in Galatians... <clears throat> I'm telling you this because when you re- when we go through this today, I'm going to contrast what Paul's talking about in Galatians is the difference between what the law is and grace is. Or in his terms, sometimes he calls it the freedom in Christ. He's contrasting the law versus grace or faith in Christ. So that's what I'm, we're going to look at today. But here's what I want you to understand before we go anywhere right now. There is a lot of misunderstanding about what is the law. Now, we've already read through the Old Testament. Now we're over into the New. But I want to make it very clear to all of us this morning, first and foremost, if you've ever heard that the Old Testament is the law, I'm sorry, that's not true. I'm going to let that sink in a minute. 
Because that, that has been, and since I have been pastoring, this has been, if there's been one thing that people have gotten more angry at me for preaching on is this right here today. So you get a choice today of whether to be mad or mature. Everybody say, I'm going to be mature. Thank you in Jesus' name, right? But, but it's the truth because the Old Testament is not the law. It's not. It's like a cheesecake with lemon zest in it. The law is in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is not the law. It can't be because what I'm about to read to you this morning, you're going to see some things in Genesis that predate the law. There are the books of the prophets. They are not the law. But the law of Moses is a systematic formula of things that the Jewish people had to do or were required to do and not do. About 613 different things, some to do, some not to do. So, But I just want to make it very clear this morning. The Old Testament is not the law of Moses. The law of Moses is in the Old Testament, but it's like putting lemon zest in your cheesecake. It's there. But just because you read the Old Testament doesn't mean you're subject to the law. There are benefits to reading the Old Testament. You can't understand the New Covenant if you don't understand the Old Covenant. Like Gary said, aren't you thankful we're not lining up with sheeps and goats and your chickens and everything else out there and slaughtering them things every time you come to worship God? So anyway, I just want to make sure that's clear. So Galatians 3.13, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, okay? Galatians 3.13, this is the context of the whole of today, okay? So Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has, and I'm going to read this from the New American Standard Bible. And you may have a different version, but I'm, I'm doing this because this one is a more clear uh, translation. If you will, I read the New Living for a lot of just reading. But for something like this, I, I need it to be a more word-for-word translation than a thought-for-thought. Thought, okay? So Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law is not the Old Testament, it's the law of Moses. Having become a curse for us. So Jesus became your curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That's in Deuteronomy. You'll find it there. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through, everybody say it together, faith. Faith. Paul is going to contrast for you the difference between law versus grace. And in this context we're going to go into right now, the context, the main thrust of his argument is the subject of circumcision. Now, I'm not going to get graphic or detailed about that, but if you don't know what that means, that is just simply the covenant marking, if you will, under the Abrahamic covenant. They, Abraham was the first. God said, you and your family, everybody's going to be circumcised, okay? And <clears throat> so that was something that started out through Abraham, okay? And so many of the people in the law of Moses... They built their case on the fact that if you were not circumcised, then you were not of the blessing of Abraham, or you were not of Abraham. So many people, even after they were born again, Paul is addressing them, after they are Christians, these are Gentiles who have no understanding of Moses or anybody else for that matter. I mean, these boys, they don't know, they don't even have, they have never heard of anything. They just know they were sinners. And they said, you mean I can be free from my sin? They said, yes, and they got in on it. That was it. And so, but now these, these Jewish people are coming in, they're trying to convince them, no, 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 no. I know you heard by faith, but you've got to go and be circumcised. If you're going to be of God and of Abraham, you're going to have to be circumcised. And that's what they were going to do. They were reverting back to something, and the context of the majority of this book is what Paul is talking about, is going back under circumcision. 
When he refers to the law, many times that's what he's talking about. But he says to us, Jesus has become your curse. I'm saying that clearly. Now you might think, well, that sounds weird. Jesus became your curse. He was cursed so that you might be blessed. That is a fact. And I know people like to hear that because they think, well, man, Jesus, I, I know. I, I understand. But he was the sacrificial lamb. And he was cursed for you. So Paul says to them now in Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to go back. But that's the main, if you don't keep up with any other verse I give you today, just keep that one on your heart. Galatians 3.13, okay? But let's go down to Galatians chapter 1. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you. Just this, I don't have a lot of points. It's just, we're going to break it down, okay? Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. So Paul says to these folks, now that they're going back, he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, watch what he says, but even if we, himself included, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say it now again, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking the favor of men or of God. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. What Paul was saying is, listen, I grew up Jewish. I've already been there. He's saying, I am circumcised. I know what it means to have this and this and this and follow the law. I know what it means. And I know how to please men, to do all the things that everybody asks you to do. But he said, listen, if I was going to do that, I would stay where I was at. I'm getting persecuted for preaching faith in Christ. And he is saying, why if you've converted to Christ, if you now put your faith in Jesus, are you going back to do something that cannot benefit you if Jesus died for you? It's not so much about trying to keep up with a bunch of things. It's about understanding the fact that Jesus was cursed for you. And if Christ was cursed, if the Lamb of God was cursed for you, what can you possibly do that would exceed what he did for you? That's what Paul is saying. Why, why would you go back and try to do this circumcision thing again? So now you can see why, I'm, in our context, I don't know if one person, and I, I have not met him yet, I've met not one person in Rome, Georgia, <clears throat> that falls into this category. I've never heard anybody argue with me about the fact that, well, you know, Pastor Joe, you're just preaching law, and it was about circumcision. I've never told anybody they've got to go get circumcised. I've never told anybody you've got to do that. That's ridiculous. But what they do say is, how dare you correct that person? That's law. How dare you tell me that I ought to be generous? That's under the law. Who do you think you are to preach against this or that? That's law. We ought to just live in grace. And they're a fool. Amen. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> I, know, I know his voice. It's, it's ridiculous. And it contradicts the purity of the gospel. Because in Galatians, Paul contrasts this in a moment. So we'll keep reading. Let's go to Galatians now, chapter 2, and verse 11. I told you we're going to read a lot of scripture today. The law is not correction. In the most cases when Paul's talking about here, it's talking about circumcision. <laughs> that is the context of it all, mostly. All right. So Galatians chapter 2, and verse 11. But when Caiaphas, or Cephas, this is Peter, okay, came to Antioch, watch what Paul does. I opposed him to his face. 
<laughs> you understand this is Peter, the one in whom Jesus said, your name is the rock, baby. You know what? And on the revelation of Christ that you have been given by God, I'm going to build my church and the gates of won't prevail. This is him, the guy that walked on water. Paul had a vision of Jesus, got knocked off of his horse, but he's correcting the apostle, if you will, of the church to his face in front of people. You shouldn't correct people. That's law. No, it's not. You just don't know your Bible. He goes on to say this, because he stood condemned. Why did he stand condemned? Watch what he says. For Peter, prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So he hung out with people. Come on now, watch what happens here. He used to hang out with the Gentiles. Gentiles are people, again, are not of Jewish, the Jewish sect. They were the people who were in, steeped in idolatry and, and sexual immorality, all kind deep, deep sin. Not that the Jewish people weren't, but they were worshiping all kinds of false gods. They were so far removed from the covenant of God, they had no hope to be in. Most of us fall into that category, by the way. But when they came... Peter begins to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the what? What's Paul making his case about right here? Mostly it is circumcision. He says the rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Don't you watch what happens when somebody preaches a false gospel. You watch what happens right here. This is Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The guy that went out and preached the gospel and was a part of a great revival. But Barnabas was even carried away by their hypocrisy. So, Pastor Jody, why do you so, why do you get so worked up about stuff? This is why. Because if you do this long enough, you start seeing people get pulled away into some goofy, sick, like false theology, and it breaks them. I've watched this long enough where it pulls them into demonic activity. Say, no, 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 that's not true. I've seen it. Tell me it's not true. I've seen it personally. You preach something that's not the gospel. You water it down, you make it, you adulterate the gospel and a demon will come alongside and make it sound like it's right. Oh, there ain't no such thing. Oh, yeah, there is. They are. We're, I ain't gonna tell you where it was at, but Haley and I was walking down there. I told her, I said, let me tell you something. When you give your mind over to stuff long enough and to foolish things and things are not God, eventually they come alongside you. I've seen them. I've seen, I seen them looking on the street, just talking in the air. You say, well, that's a mental disorder. Some things are. I'm not, deba- I'm not debating. I know that's real. I mean, my dad for years said, bipolar. I know, don't, I know what that's like, and I know what this is like. There's two different things. So, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. Everybody's being mature this morning. All right. Let's keep going. So, <laughs> the church is open. There you go, baby. 14. Ver- but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, Paul said to Peter, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, watch what he says. How is it you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? <laughs> That's a good question. Because Paul said, listen, Peter, you and I are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, in this context, he's referring to circumcision. He's not talking about you keeping 613 different laws. He is saying that this right here, he's referring to circumcision. That a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law or by circumcision. Since by the works of the law or circumcision, no flesh can be justified. Now watch this. Here's what they were doing. 
they believed in the faith in Christ. And then what happened was these other guys got mad and frustrated because they weren't of faith in Christ. They were still of the Jewish sect of the circumcision, the party of circumcision, if you will. They came along and they convinced these people that they all should be circumcised. It wouldn't have been a big deal if they'd have said, hey, listen, guys, for hygiene purposes, you ought to get circumcised, okay? Maybe it's a good idea. The health people say it's a good deal, so maybe you should. It's going to be painful and it's going to hurt for a while, but, you know, they'll give you some anesthetics or whatever else, you'll be all right. Or if they just said, hey, look, man, you know what? Uh, I don't know. This is our denomination. We do this. It's just because what we do. We're not saying it defines you as a believer or not, but we're just saying we do this. That would have been different. What they were saying is, if you get circumcised, then because of that flesh that has been altered, you now will be in right standing with God. And this is what got Paul so angry is, you cannot, in your flesh, do enough to exceed what Christ did in his flesh. His sacrifice exceeds anything you possibly can do. You will never, ever, in your flesh, exceed what Jesus did for you. No amount of sacrifice, no amount of, in their case, mutilation, no amount of th- what many sects did many years ago, that was, they, would, they would do these, like, uh, what do you call it, penance-type things where they would put things on them and, and, and tension down their arms, different things like that, to put, bring pain on That will not do it. Nothing you do in your flesh will exceed what Jesus did for you. And that's what got him so angry. And so Paul says to them <clears throat> in verse 17, But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? So in other words, he's saying, this is the problem. We still sin. Do we not? We do. I mean, if you sit there and look at me and say, well, no, I mean, you know, I've had a rough week every now and then, but for the most part, I'm a great person. You're a liar. You are just a liar flat out in sin right now lying to me. We all sin and fall short. But does that make Jesus a minister of sin? No. He was the ultimate sacrifice. But what he's saying is, don't think just because we fall short that he did. May it never be. Verse 18. For if I rebuild that which I've once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's talking about if I'm going back. For through the law, I died to the law. Now, this is good right here. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. This is why the context of the scripture now is, watch this. I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the... Oh. Do you see what he's saying there? Because of what he did in his flesh, either A, you're going to have to die to yours and accept the fact that you're going to make mistakes and still fall short, but the fact that your flesh is never going to compete with his flesh. So you might as well account it dead. And trust and live in the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. He said, now I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So, so grace, again, the idea of grace, grace is not, it is not. This idea that, well, I should never correct anybody, just, just love people. That's not Grace. The New Testament will contradict every time that thought. Grace, though, is to understand 
that I will never in my flesh exceed what he did in his flesh, that his sacrifice exceeds anything I could ever do. And so either A, I've got to die to my flesh and reckon it dead and live in faith in Christ Jesus, that his sacrifice is enough. Or, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, circumcision is the least of your worries. There's a whole boatload of stuff you've got to do. Because if you're going to do one, you've got to do them all. And I already know you can't do them all. It's impossible because you can't redeem yourself, so therefore you're already out. So it, it, it just that's what Paul's saying. So now watch this. Galatians chapter 3. I told you we're going to read a lot of scripture, right? Galatians 3. In verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians. Watch this. Who has this is an interesting word. It used to be cute on TV back in the day with Nick and Knight. Remember the little the little bewitched movie? Some of y'all may not know, but some of you, you know, you remember that? Like, ding a ding Like, I can't do my nose, but ding a ding I can do the rock thing, but I can't do the the nose thing. I was wondering how that girl did that, you know. But all of a sudden, it was cute because she did a little like, ding a ding thing, and it was just moving the dishes or whatever. And the word bewitched back then, it was like a little cute little sitcom. That's not what this is. He says, this is, who has bewitched you? It means to fascinate you by false representations. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit? Watch this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works law or by circumcision or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, it was in vain. So then, does he who provides with you the Spirit... And works miracles among you, does he do this by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Do you see the comparison he's saying is like, when you see a miracle take place, is that because somebody was really good and they just kept all the stuff in order? Or is that just a gift of God's grace? I mean, I thank God I don't have to depend on the fact some preacher, some Bible study leader, some Christian has got their act all together so I might get something from God. Thank God that's, there's still a gift of his grace that just says, look, I just want to bless you and love you and help you and heal you. And that's just a wonderful thing to know, man. So when you're getting prayed for, you don't have to depend, well, well maybe I should get prayed by this one. I mean, I went to a school where that was the big thing. I mean, I fell on the same thing. You think, well, I've got to be prayed for by that person. That don't mean squat. You can get Gary to pray for you, me to pray for you, or somebody here you don't even know to pray for you. As long as they know Jesus, as long as they believe and they hear you and say, look, you know what? Well, yeah, I'll pray for you. It's a work of God's grace. But when you believe that the power is more evident in a man or a woman than you do in the God that that man or woman serves, that's the hindrance right there. If any two or three of you get together in my name and shall ask, he didn't say you picked this one or that one. He said anybody in my name, two of them. So all it's going to take, two or three. But not the person, well, I've got to have that name brand guy. No, you don't. That's ridiculous. That's a trap. That's what the enemy wants you to say. Well, if you get prayed for by that one, then it'll all work out. No, it won't. I've done all that mess. Prayed for by this, and they'll lay hands on that. They'll give you this. That's like getting them people on TV, send you the thing in the mail, give you a prayer thing, they'll tear it off. I was in Israel, and I found this rock, and I'll send it to you for fifty nine ninety five, and I'll get you a healing. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I said it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't care. Tired of all that mess. Me and Stephen were cutting up the other day, I'll tell you, this is just between us, you know, it's just us and y'all watching on TV, so it's our, <laughs> we were cutting up the other day, we, we figured up the number and said, my gosh, we should have been televangelists. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, we started doing the math. I said, man, dude, are you, the pull rate's amazing. All you got to do is hit about 
you know, in Georgia, it's five, ten million people. Watch, if you get just two percent of that and send in a rock. I mean, man, you're loaded, dude. We pay off our church, pay off some missionary stuff. Man, we do all kind of stuff. He said, man, you're crazy. I said, I'm just, just being honest. I'm not going to do that, by the way. I just want you to know. Well, great. Now if, they, now if we ever do something like that, people are going to wonder. No, I'm just messing. Anyway, so he says to us, look, in verse, uh, let's go to verse 6. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham is in Genesis. This is why I tell you, don't believe it when people tell you the Old Testament is law. It's not. He is telling you that the gospel was preached in Genesis by Abraham. Think about that for a minute. He goes on to say this. Not only was the gospel preached by Abraham, he says this, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now he wasn't a believer in Christ necessarily, but he was a believer in the faith and what God had told him to do. And so he goes on, he says this, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, watch this, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. And again, he's referring to the law of Moses, which you will find parts of that in the first five books of the Bible. But it doesn't mean all of it is that. Now, verse 11, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. It means then, if you try to live by getting everything right to please God in your position with Christ, you got to do all 613, and you can't do it. So he says, Christ then has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come upon us, the Gentiles, and we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. You believe in Christ, and that is the key difference. And it's an interesting thing about there's 613 laws in the Old Testament that you follow, the Mosaic law. But not all the Old Testament is the law. But there's 613 things that you'll find in there that you're supposed to do. Interesting enough, now I'm not a math whiz, but I do, I do real math, okay? What I mean by that is something you can do, okay? I, I, I'll leave it there. God bless you teachers today. I, I hate it for you and what you have to deal with. But it's ridiculous, some of this stuff. I do math, okay? And, and I know, I understand some of this stuff. But 613 is a prime number, which means by itself, it, you just can't divide it and get an equal or a whole number. It kind of stands alone. Funny thing about that, isn't it interesting? You can divide it by one, or you take the one and 613, whatever, you can work with that. But you can't say 613 divided by two and get a whole number. Same thing is true with the law. This is why it's so important. You will never get a quarter of it right. You'll never get a half of it right. You'll never get an eighth of it right. You'll always be off. Because it, it, it isn't interesting that God would put that in there like that, where you can't even figure out a way to get just a portion of it right. And if you try to get one, you're going to have to live by all of it. And you can't do it. It's impossible. 
So he says, in verse 15, watch this. This is very interesting. He says, now, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham, and watch this very carefully, to his, everybody look at the word, seed. Again, in school I've had to go and relearn a lot of things, because in school I did not pay attention like I should have, okay? But especially when it came to English grammar and those kind of things, I was great at writing and stories, and the teacher loved the fact that, oh, you're very creative, you could write all kind of stuff, but son, you just... Your punctuation stinks, you know. You, you don't know how to do a sentence structure. But I thought, well, does it really matter? Because people who write books have people to edit for them. That's the way I thought. I mean, uh, you know, not a good way to think. But anyway, <clears throat> on one hand. But anyway, I know this seed is singular, is it not? One. He does not say, remember that. He does not say, and to seeds, plural. <clears throat> As referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What he is saying is this, watch. The seed, the seed, the seed, the seed. In Genesis, when Eve and Adam fell, was the first thing that God said. He looked at Satan, he said, listen, bud, you just don't know what's happening. But her seed, not seeds, uh, her seed. Ain't it interesting? He would say her. Go read it, it's interesting. But he said, that seed, he is going to crush your head. You have just made the biggest mistake you've ever, you thought falling from heaven was a bad idea, but you have just made the biggest mistake you have ever made in your life. And he said to the woman, and, it, and it, he's going to bruise you. the seed of, his seed, it's going to bruise his heel. I'm talking about him. And then you go on reading Abraham and it says this, you read this in Galatians, but when God told Abraham, he's someone change your name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And through your seed, not seeds, but seed, all the nations shall be blessed. This is why Paul got so angry. Because he says, who do you think you are as seeds? It isn't plural, it's one. The seed the Christ is the only one that's able to do this and he said don't ever fall into the category where you think that seeds have the capacity to change this because you don't but because of him the one seed it is Christ and it means one person so then he says this he goes on to say this and we'll wrap up with this last couple of thoughts what I'm saying is this the law which came 430 years later after Abraham does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God. Now this is good. God made a promise with Abraham. But why then would he send this law? What's the big deal? Well, it's no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So why the law, verse 19? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of the mediator until the seed would come, whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not from one party only. I know this much is true. You don't need a mediator if it's between just yourself. You're just fighting with yourself. I don't know. 
But a mediator gets in between at least two people, maybe three or four. The mediator's there to bridge the gap between this one and that one. And that's what Christ was. But he said this, watch. He said, then, <clears throat> now a mediator's not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ, and you are all baptized in Christ. Here's what he's saying. When we were all children, if you're a child in here today, understand this. Your parents aren't perfect. You say, well, I knew that. Thank God, would you tell them? Well, we know. <laughs> we know. That's what my, sometimes my like, well, whatever, Dad. Whatever, I can't do the whatever they do. Anyway, we know we're not perfect, right? Does any parent here think they're, well, we, we act like we are. And believe me, we're like 98%. We got it going on, okay? But there, we know we're not 100%. We got 2% we're working with. But here's the reality. Why are you in the household? Why were you in a household as a child before you became an adult? If you were on your own, you would die. You really would. How many things did you do as a child that you thought, man, I don't even know how I made it. I don't even know. If it weren't for my grandparents kicking my tail, I would be a bum. If it weren't for my grandfather constantly saying, son, you've got to have good work ethic. You've got to get with it. You're not going to sit around the house all day. You've got to get with it. You're going to work hard. Man, don't sit around all day. You've got to get with it. I mean, I would not have the work ethic I have now. Why did he do that? Well, he's not here anymore. So guess what? I'm no longer under that, but that which was instilled within me, I now understand and apply to my own life. And in the same way as parents and children, eventually your kids grow up and they get out. And you say to them, look, if you want to live like a crazy person, you know, leave everything hanging out everywhere and leave you stuff everywhere and the only one to clean up that's your problem do it in your house but not in mine right if you don't want to cut your grass don't cut your grass be a jungle baby whatever you but here what we're going to do wings. this is how it's going to roll here when you get out your hope and your prayer is this that you've imparted enough of what you know to be right and true to your children that they leave your home and they become good citizens and they follow Jesus to the best of their ability the same thing was true that Paul was saying. Why would you go back now? You're a son or a daughter in the house. You're always welcome to come back. Fridge is always open. We came home. My kids come in. The first thing is leave the fridge open, just wide open. What are you doing? I'm just looking. There's nothing in that we had gone a week. What? This ain't your grandmama's house. Girl, shut the door. Like, you know, but go next door. You want a meal or something right now? We ain't been to the store. But the fridge is always open. I would go to my mom-in-law's house. And, man, when Haley and I were dating, I don't know when it hit, but at some point, once we got married, at some point it just, I, I didn't even ask anymore. I just opened the fridge, see what they got. 
It's the weirdest thing, but you know, you get to a point where you don't even, and they do the same thing for us. You don't think about it anymore. You're just, we're family. And that's what God wants you to know. You're family. And he wants you to know that you're, Jesus is the seed. You're not. The blessing falls on you because of the seed. Don't go try and live into something you can't possibly figure out. So this morning, here's what I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads as I pray over this for you. I want you to understand this this morning, that, that Jesus loves you, that he is the seed that was promised by God all these many generations ago through Abraham. And you are the recipient of the blessing of God. So just right where you are, just close your eyes, bow your head, I want to pray over you. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that as we read your scripture today, Lord, that I pray that prompts the hearts of many. I pray, Lord, that as they hear your word, God, to understand that, that the Old Testament, first of all, God, is not the law. But God, I know your law is in it. There's portions of it that's in there. But I pray that we would understand and not be deceived by false theologies and things that try to pull people into different directions and bewitch them. I pray that we would understand your word, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, to stay steadfast in the faith, to not be wavering between doctrines that are of men and traditions. But Lord, we would stand fast in your word and we would, we would hear your word, God. And as you said, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by your word. I pray in the name of Jesus today that faith would rise up in our hearts and we would believe more strongly the fact that Jesus is the seed promised to us by God through Abraham and that we are simply the recipients of the blessing of God. And I pray today if there's anybody here in this room or watching online that does not know you, I pray today that they would receive this promise through Christ. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ just while your eyes are closed, you're watching online, you don't know Jesus, but you need to pray and receive Christ today. I want to pray for you. Just while your eyes are closed, we're going to pray together as a church. And this whole church is going to pray with you right now. Just repeat this after me if you need to make a decision and follow Jesus as your Savior. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I ask you to accept me as a son and a daughter. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for relationship. And I thank you for saving me. You are my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we are so proud of you. Right, church, would you give him a hand? You can take a moment right there. If you're watching online, you can go to connect.cornerstonerome.com. We'd love to get in touch with you and help you uh, get started walking with Christ. We have some materials we'd love to send you. There's all the devotion materials available as well. They can send you that. If you'll take a moment to fill that out for us, we'd help you get started walking with God today. Thank you for joining with us online. And in the room as well, if you're here and you want to know more about Christ, and you say, man, I prayed that prayer. I, I want to receive Christ. What we do is we'll have prayer ministry teams that'll be down front. And if you need prayer for anything, first of all, they'll be down here for you. Second of all, if you did pray to receive Christ, why don't you let one of them know? Say, so, well, what are they going to do? Well, they're just going to help you get started walking with Christ, okay? So that's it. Pretty simple thing. You can fill it out online. It's connect.cornerstonerome.com as well if you want to. But we'd love for you to get prayer and just talk with someone this morning. And so if you need prayer for anything at all, we'd love to pray for you here at the end of church. And so everybody just stand up with, you, with us right now <coughs> before we go. <coughs> and I ask our prayer ministry team, you guys come down front. They'll be down front for you. And before we go, we always want to speak this over your life before you leave here today. <clears throat> and this is Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. It says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, you think about this before I read this last part. This is why you can receive this. Because the seed, Jesus Christ, he was cursed for you. So you can receive this blessing. You can stop worrying about whether or not does he approve of you or not. It's not about that. Christ was cursed for you. Listen to this. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you his peace. Just receive that this morning in Jesus' name, man. God bless you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.